pack, but my, there we go, man, I was going to say, it was on, and um, so, over the last several weeks, we've been talking about the journey to the cross, and we've been learning uh, various lessons and teachings uh, about the, the things that happened and took place on Jesus' journey to the cross, and this morning, uh, I want to look into God's Word, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Gospel of John, chapter 17. We'll talk about the presence of prayer on the journey to the cross. The presence of prayer on the journey to the cross. In this text, we find the Lord Jesus in the garden of His betrayal. And in the moments leading up to the cross, Jesus enters into a time of prayer and communication with the Father. Now, there are a lot of things that we can learn from this. The first is the confirmation of the importance and the power of prayer. Then Jesus was headed to um, the culminating event of his entire life, his purpose for coming and existing on this earth was for him to die on the cross for our sins. And he was on his way there. And he knew that that was his ultimate destination. And in the midst of that, and in the moment of that, he enters into a time of prayer and communication with the Father. It also gives us a great doctrinal truth of the plan of salvation and God's design for eternity. And so we we look into the text this morning, John chapter 17. And we want to read together in the very, just beginning in the very first verse of that text. And and God's Word, if I can get to that page, says this. These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee. Even as thou hast Thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, and the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I glorify thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. We see this prayer of Jesus and these words that are being lifted up. And there are just a few lessons that I want us to learn from that today. The first one of which is this, God's timing is always perfect. God's timing is always perfect. Jesus begins the prayer and says this, The hour has come. Not the day, not the season, not the year. The hour has come. He is specifically pointing to a a moment in time in which God has prepared and planned and purposed for Jesus Christ. Think about those words for just a moment. 
Last week, we discussed the fact that God had a plan for Jesus to come to this earth and die before the world was ever created. Before there was ever an utterance of the word, let there be anything that God said, let there be in existence. God already had the plan. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't a a knee-jerk reaction to man's disobedience and sinfulness. God had the plan before the world ever existed. And now, all of this time has occurred, and Jesus says, the hour has now come. The time for this plan that was set in motion before the creation of the universe is now time for this to happen. Before one word was ever uttered, you designed this plan, and now the hour has come for this to be completed. Think about everything that has happened since the creation of man. Think about all of the events that unfold in Scripture. We think about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. We think about Abraham and Moses and Noah. We think about King David and King Solomon and the reign and the prophets and all of the things that unfolded. And then 400 years of silence. And now the hour has come. All of this time has passed, and like children, we, uh, we have this inquiring mind. We want to know why things happen, the way they happen, and we wonder how they happen, the purpose behind those. Why did God wait so long to send Jesus? It's perfect timing. We can't question it. We, we can't doubt it. But we wonder. The hour has now come. Why? Why all of these years, all of this expanse of time? Why all of these events? Why is this the hour? Why did Jesus wait until he was around 30 years of age to begin his ministry? Why not sooner? Why not, you know, when he was a bit younger? Why did he have to die so young? Why couldn't his ministry have been longer and he could have taught more and influenced more and impacted more? All of these things are are questions that we have and we think and we ponder, but the bottom line is critical for us to understand that God's timing is perfect. We may not understand it. We may not be able to come to an answer to every one of those questions. But we have to, in faith, accept and believe that God's timing is perfect. And this is the exact right time for God's purpose in Christ Jesus to be fulfilled and to be accomplished. And Jesus believed that. Jesus taught that. Jesus, when He taught the disciples to pray, what did He teach them to pray? He said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You understand what that means? God has a will, God has a plan, and God has a purpose. And He said, I want your will to be carried out here just like it is in the kingdom of heaven. Your timing is perfect timing. There is never a flaw. There's never a mistake. 
And yet we, we wonder why all of these things, but in faith we must believe and accept, as Jesus did, the hour has now come. This is your perfect timing. This is your planning. This is your purpose. And I desire to be a part of that. God's glory is ultimate. God's glory is ultimate. Think about what Jesus prayed in verse 2 of that text. Look back with me again, if you would, and let's read it together. Even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. God's glory is ultimate. This is the climax of the incarnation, indeed of life itself. Can we here come to an understanding that death is in fact a cause for the greatest celebration ever? Think about that for a moment. We mourn death. We mourn loss. We grieve at that. And yet, when we look into this text and we begin to see Jesus' prayer and where He is headed to the cross, the incarnation of Christ, it is death that is cause for the greatest celebration ever. Because God's purpose and God's plan has been accomplished. By the act of giving all glory and all authority to Jesus... He demonstrates the sovereignty of God over evil. That He is all-powerful to overcome all evil that exists. He demonstrates the genuine compassion of God for all people. His love and compassion for mankind. And He demonstrates the finality of the redemption of Jesus for all people. In His prayer... He is praying about his death. And as he prays about his death, he communicates the glory of God and the authority of God and the power of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, Father, through my death, burial, and resurrection, may you be glorified because my death will be the ultimate demonstration of your love to a lost and dying world. A demonstration of God's compassion and care, and His desire to reunite us with Him in love and in faithfulness. God's authority is recognized. And I want you to think about the power of that authority. Everything that Jesus had done, everything that Jesus is doing, and everything that Jesus will do is by the authority of God. Listen to that verse 2 again as He talks about the fact that you have given me authority over all of mankind. Don spoke about it this morning in his communion meditation. In the latter uh, chapter, or last chapter of the Gospel of, of Matthew, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He prays here about the authority that the Father has given him over all of mankind. God's authority is recognized and that He instilled that authority, He placed that authority in Christ Jesus and that He has given Him complete authority to the Son and that He was, uh, had the authority to give eternal life. 
Think about that for a moment. Walking as a human being on the face of this earth, Jesus had the authority of the Father in His life to give eternal life to others. We can go in in God's Word and find multiple times that Jesus speaks to this, but Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 20, is one of those amazing scriptures that communicate this so vividly for us. There is a lame man who is brought to Jesus. And Jesus sees the faith of this man and those who brought him there. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. He had the authority to give him eternal life. The forgiveness of sins reunites him with God the Father and gives him eternal life. And Jesus said this, and the religious leaders begin to murmur and think, Oh, blasphemy, who does this guy think that he is? And Jesus' response is so beautiful. He says, listen, which is easier? For me to say that your sins are forgiven, or or for me to say that you're healed, stand up and walk? And what he was saying is this. He says, what you guys do is you say things that that you, you demonstrate your authority, but there's no real power to it. In other words, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. Nobody can prove that. Nobody can see that. Well, are they forgiven or are they not forgiven? Well, we don't really know, but he said they were forgiven. But if I say you're healed, stand up and walk, then everybody can see that. It demonstrates it. He said, which is easier? Well, the easiest thing is to say, hey, your sins are forgiven. Nobody can prove it or disprove it. But for me to say that you are healed to stand up and walk, everybody can prove or disprove. Everybody can discern that. And Jesus said, which is easier to say? He said, but so that you may know that I have authority to forgive sins, that you may know that the Father has given me authority to offer eternal life, I say to you, stand up, take your bed, and go home. And the Scripture says that he stood up, and he took his bed, and he walked away. And then listen to what the Scripture says there in the 26th verse of the Gospel of Luke, the 5th chapter. It says that they were amazed at Jesus and the teachings and the events that unfolded and at the authority of God. The demonstration of God's authority. The demonstration that God had placed His authority in Jesus Christ to give eternal life, to forgive sins, to heal us spiritually, and to heal a lame man, to heal him physically. And God demonstrated His authority through His Son, Christ Jesus. Authority equals eternal life. John, the 11th chapter, we won't take time to go there today, but we see that again in the raising of Lazarus. And Jesus, it says, hey, listen, I'm glad that we weren't there because this allows you to see the authority and the glory of God. And Jesus shows up and they said, listen, You know, if you had been here, he would still be alive. And he said, listen, why why do you fret? Why do you worry? He said, he'll he'll rise again. And Mary says, well, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection. And he goes, no, 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 I'm talking about right now. Roll the stone away. Oh, goodness, no. He said, he's going to stink. He's going to smell by now. It's been four days. Jesus said that you may know the authority of God and see the glory and the power of God. I say to you, Lazarus. And we know what happened. He came out of that tomb and he was alive again. Why? Because of the authority of God 
and because of God's glory. And I want you to know, every time in Scripture that that happens, every time in Scripture that some event like that occurs, it never says that they glorified Jesus. It never says that they recognized the authority of Jesus. Every single time it says they glorified God the Father. Everything that Jesus did was to bring glory to the Father. Not to himself, not to his earthly body, but to his heavenly Father. And we need to understand the authority and the glory of God. Final thing is this. The position, God's position is absolute and the work is complete. His position is absolute and His work is complete. Look at verses 3 and 4. And let's listen to that again and the power of that in His prayer. These are the words of Jesus. And this is eternal life. This is a powerful statement, understanding this. This is eternal life, that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. I glorify Thee on the earth, having accomplished the work which Thou hast given me to do. His position is absolute, <coughs> excuse me, and His work is complete. It is sad that in our world today, there are people who, in order to avoid conflict, in order to avoid any type of disagreement, have chosen to accept many different ideas and avenues and thoughts about how we receive salvation and get to heaven. The Scripture is very clear. We say things like this, well, as long as we're all trying to get to the same place, it's okay and it doesn't matter. Well, that's not what God's Word says. God's Word says it does matter. And in fact, Jesus said in relationship to eternal life, this is eternal life, that they know you, the true living God. That's critical. There is no other God. There is no other avenue. There is no other way. It can't be, well, you take your path, I'll take my path, and that person can take their path, and, and let's hope we all get to the same place. We must stand on the truth of God's Word, and the truth of God's Word is there is only one way to eternal life. And it is through Jesus Christ and the authority that He received through God the Father. And notice what He says. My work is complete. This is what you sent me to do. And I am completing that work. This is what you have sent me to accomplish and I am accomplishing it. And in that, there is eternal life offered to all who would believe in the only true living God and in Jesus Christ whom He sent. That is the only way to eternal life. And anybody that would offer you any other way of eternal life or suggest that there's any other way to eternal life are preaching a gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to be very careful about that because in our world of political correctness or social correctness or sensitivity or whatever you want to call it, it's really easy for people to go, well, 
you know, maybe this would be, maybe that. And, and all of a sudden, we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Because in our world today, if you don't agree with someone, automatically you're identified as what? Oh, you're a hater. Oh, you're bitter. Oh, you're horrible. Oh, you're a terrible person if you don't agree with me. Well, guess what? The Scripture says there is only one way. There's only one avenue to eternity. And if we don't take that way, and if we don't preach that way, we are preaching and teaching falsely. We have to stand on that truth. It is uncompromising. It is not negotiable. It is the truth that, that Jesus Christ stated Himself in His prayer to the Father before His death. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. It is pivotal that we believe this, that we adhere to this strictly, and we stand on this truth. It's the only way. We can't accept anything less. And then he, he brings this portion of his prayer to a conclusion. And I love what he says. He simply says this, Father... I am completing the work that you sent me to do, and I am ready to come home. Listen to what he says in verse 5. And now glorify thou me together with thyself, Father. In other words, he said, now the glory comes together. It's a culmination. The task has been accomplished with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Father, before the world was, you had a plan. You had a purpose. And it was to send me to die on a cross for the sins of mankind. And I am fulfilling that task. And upon the completion of that task, Father, I am ready to come home. Return me to the glory that you and I shared together before the world ever existed. God secures that homecoming and that Jesus returns to the throne room of grace and reigns eternally at the right hand of the Father. This is an incredible prayer that gives to us an incredible understanding of what it means to pray and to seek the Father's will. What it means to gather the power of prayer and the presence of God and to fulfill the, the will of God in His perfect time. And so this morning, as we come to our invitation hymn, I want us to think about eternal life. I want us to think about eternity in the kingdom of heaven, in the glory and the presence of the Father. 